Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope you had a wonderful week. I'd like to invite you to take a copy of God's Word with you this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Today we're going to see two points that are very applicable to our lives today from Genesis chapter 18 as we look at Abraham and Sarah. And what are those two points? Number one, how we are to treat people. And number two, our belief towards the word of God. Number one, how we are to treat people. And number two, our belief towards the word of God. In reverence to God's word, if you're able to stand, would you please stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 18 in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 15 today. Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 through 15. And the word of God says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre. While he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day, he looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. Verse 3, Then he said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Meanwhile, Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to repair it. Verse 8, then Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Verse 9, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind them. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, verse 12. So she laughed to herself. After I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Verse 13. But the Lord asked Abraham, why, has, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are, the promise that we have in you. And Lord, this story, this wonderful truth from the word of God, we can relate so well to it. And so, Father, as we... Dig in today. May you be glorified. May the Holy Spirit do a mighty work as he moves. May you edify the saint. May you challenge your servant today. Lord, may you convict those who need convicting. But from the word of God, may we gain the truth 
to be better used to bring about your word in this place. The kingdom of God will continue to move. And as you use your children, Father, may we humbly glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. we got two sections. We're going to be breaking this uh, Genesis 18 up. The first section, section is Genesis 18, 1 through 8. And I went back and forth on whether to use display or expose. And the reason why I went with expose, because what I said in my introduction, this is how we are to treat people. Faith is exposed on how we treat people. Faith is exposed on how we treat people, looking at verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, we see Abraham is sitting at the opening of a tent under some trees. And the word of God tells us that he is at the oaks of Mamre. This would have been in the southern part of Israel. And in verse 1, it says that he's sitting underneath some trees during the hottest time of day. Now, I don't know if Abraham had ice or tea or lemonade during that time, but I have a picture in my mind that Abraham is sitting in a shaded area, drinking sweet tea, enjoying his view. This is his air conditioning setting. I don't know if they had air conditioning back then, but he, you got to get the idea. In the hottest part of the day, under the shade tree, just observing, possibly people watching. In verse 2, we see Abraham run out to meet some guest. These gentlemen must have stood out to Abraham. There was something different about them. And as he approached these guests, what does he do? He does something very unique here. He bows to the ground before these gentlemen. Abraham is displaying the utmost respect to strangers. In verse 3, we see Abraham address one as, the, as Lord, Adonai. But in my opinion, in the exegetical part of this section, I don't think that Abraham truly understand who these men are. In your Bible, you probably see a lowercase l-o-r-d. There's a reason for that. Because... I truly believe Abraham doesn't know who these people are. In Genesis 15, what did we see from Abraham? When the Lord was in his presence, he spoke to Adonai Yahweh, Lord God. And he says that twice in Genesis 15. Now here, Abraham is addressing one of these men as Lord as somebody who is in high respect. Abraham is ultimately saying, this person, these guests are more important to me than myself. And this is exactly the same display that Jesus Christ came to this earth to share. The apostle Paul shares this display from Jesus Christ to the church at Philippi. You've heard me say this verse before, and I'll say it again. Philippians 2, verse 3. The Word of God says this, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important 
than yourself. Everyone shall look out not only for one own interest, but also for the interest of others. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ. So Abraham is doing exactly what Jesus did in the New Testament. And Paul is telling the church at Philippi to continue to do this, to be humble. Think of others as more important than yourself. And in verse 4, we see that Abraham brings some water to these strangers to have their feet washed. And as I was studying this section, the Holy Spirit uh, brought some ideas, some questions to my mind. And I want to ask you this question. Where is Abraham sitting again? He's sitting under the trees at the Oaks of Mamre. Abraham is in a comfortable, shady place. This is his air conditioning, but what does Abraham do in verse 4? He gets up from his seat. He looks at these strangers. He said, let me bring you some water, folks, and why don't you sit in my seat? Let me get out of the way, and you get comfortable right where I am at. Oh, the heart of Abraham speaks to us in the New Testament. He's setting them up to be comfortable, taking strangers that he does not know, puts them in his place. And be reminded, it's the hottest day, and he's doing this. Man, six o'clock the other day, I pull out of my garage, garage, and it's 96 degrees. I was comfortable in my, AC, in my AC, and this story came to mind. Would I be willing to get out of my house and put a guest in there and say, you sit here. You be comfortable. In verse 5, here we see Abraham say, let me bring you a morsel of bread. A morsel of bread, a little piece of bread is a small fragment, more like a cracker. And he, he just wants to tie them over for a bit as he says this phrase. And in verse 6, um, let me just stop you for a moment as we look at this section. Uh, this is something that I would never do to my wife, and I think some of you guys can relate, right? This is something we would never do to our wives. Honey, why don't you whip up a small thing of bread? Knead it quickly. Knead it quickly. Well, as I was looking at this section, one C equals seven liters of fine flour, and it usually takes about one to one and a half cups to make a loaf of bread. So Abraham says, men, guys, sit here. I'm going to get you some water. I'm going to go get you some, uh, some, a cracker. And he goes into the house. He said, honey, make some bread quickly. Oh, seven liters, three seals. You know what that comes out to? My math is not the greatest. But he sets him up to have 80 loaves of bread. Oh, like I said, I've never done this to my wife. I don't know about any of you men, but I can't imagine what's going on during this context and in this, in, this, in this setting here. But why? Why so much bread? What do you think is going on in Abraham's heart? He's wanting to set them up to be taken care of for, for several days after they have visited with him. Look at verse 7 here. The word of God says that Abraham ran to get the choice calf. And now I was in 4-H. 
when I was younger, and I know what a grand champion bucket calf goes for and what it means to a family. And Abraham gives the fine choice calf to be, uh, to be cooked, to be harvested, to be laid out for his guest. Now, Abraham was a rich man, right? Abraham had so much wealth. He had servants working for him and probably had servants and servants working for them. But what's going on in this text? You see a man that we look up to, probably the world looks up to, and what's he doing? He's running place to place, getting stuff prepared for this guest. This man, Abraham, looks nothing like a lord over his house. He looks like a slave in the house. What a model of being a godly man in the home. But look at verse 8 again. He gives the best of all things to these guys. And as he brings the, this meal to these men, it says later part in verse 8 that Abraham was serving them. He said, he served them as they ate under the tree. Now, the word in Hebrew, to to serve, means to stand, better translated. Abraham is standing by these men. The master, the Lord over the household, becomes a slave to them. To think, to think what Abraham just did. He's running throughout the house, getting everything prepared. His household is also helping getting things prepared. And I bet you this didn't take 30 minutes. I bet you this was a long day process. I bet you Abraham was tired. I bet you he needed a shower. I bet you he was filthy. He was dirty. I bet you he wanted his feet washed. And what does the word of God say? say? He comes and serves these men and he stands there like a waiter, like a deacon. He becomes a slave to these guests. Why? To bless them. So what's the point of this section? Here's four points of application for us. Serving people happily. Christians are to serve people happily. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Even when it's inconvenient to Abraham, he serves. Folks, when it's inconvenient to you, you need to serve. Why do I say that? (laughs) He wants to bless these people in the hottest time of the day. He wants to give his seat away. He wants to be uncomfortable for the service of these men. It's a blessing, folks, to serve people that we know personally. It's a blessing to serve people when it's something we enjoy. I would say it's even easy to serve people that we love. But what about the people that we don't know? Abraham didn't know these guys. Yet it was a joy for him to serve these strangers. What's going on here? Abraham is reflecting Jesus. 
Matthew 25, verse 35 says this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. And I was in prison, you visited me. You see, this is how Christians are to be in this world. Serve people happily. Number two, serve people humbly. Serve people humbly. Verse 3, 4, and 5. Abraham doesn't serve people to show how good he is. He's humbly setting these people up to be blessed. And he's also not in a hurry to get rid of these guests. He pulls out the red carpet. He's not worried about his laundry hanging on the line outside. He's not worried about his kids leaving a mess in their room or or the table not being cleaned. He's not worried about the dishes that are left. He's not worried that his gas hasn't been cut. He's not even worried that he's even had a shower probably that day. What he's worried about is setting these people up for success. He's wanting to love these people like Christ loves us, the filthiest of sinners. He is setting everything aside. He probably doesn't check his watch or his calendar on his phone. He looks at the heart of these people, these strangers, and he says, come in. Get cooled off, eat something, and get your belly full because I love you. And I don't even know who you are. Serve people happily. Serve people humbly. Serve people hastily. Serve people hastily. Abraham knew that these men needed something in verse 6 and 7. And Abraham delivers Abraham did not wait for them to come and make a request to him, nor did he say, let me know if you need anything or text me or call me. He sees a need and he acts quickly and he takes care of it. Folks, if we pay attention in our church, we pay attention to our neighbors, we pay attention to our friends and our co-workers, you're going to see a need without them telling you. And if we can be honest with one another. When we serve, we like to do it on our own time. It's our weekend. I have plans with my family. I worked all week, and this is what I'm going to do. We like to protect those hours. We even try to even rationalize helping in some way by saying, if I get time In my schedule, I can do this, but Abraham didn't. He made time, and he made it happen. Folks, this was very convicting for me this week. May we reflect Abraham's heart in this world. Remember, what what, what was Abraham supposed to be? A blessing to the nations. What a blessing that Abraham was to strangers. 
The last point of application from this section is to serve people sacrificially. You've heard me say this before. Serve people sacrificially. It's easy when it doesn't cost us anything to serve. It's easy when we have an overabundance of something to give. But what about giving when it hurts and going above and beyond? Abraham gave the best, the choice calf. He gave the best curds that he had stored away for his family, kind of like cottage cheese. I guarantee he probably emptied all his cupboards to make that many loaves of bread. And his whole family joined in to serve. They set their whole day apart that they had planned and they gave it away to bless somebody else. What does Abraham remind us again of? Let's look at the New Testament. The Last Supper. John 13, verse 4. So Jesus got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. John 13, 5. Next, he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel tied around him. Jesus says in Matthew 20 that, the, that he came to serve and not be served. This is our faith on display. And how we treat strangers and guests will expose our faith. May we take these steps that Abraham has taken to bless others. And you know something? I believe this is how Abraham acted for every single one of his guests. Again, I do not believe in this point in the, in the conversation he knows that this is the Lord before him. And I am reminded of what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 and 2 says. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. The word of God is true. And maybe the stranger or the guest that has come to your attention, maybe that's a messenger, an angel from God. I would hope that we would be willing to set our pride aside, use discernment, and serve and love people. We don't know if they are angels from the Lord or not. Again, our faith is exposed on how we treat people. Let's look at our last, last section. In verses 9 through 15. Your faith is exposed by our belief in the word of God. Our faith is exposed by our belief in the word of God. We come to this section in verse 8 that really conveys a message for the benefit of Sarah and not Abraham. You see, the Lord had been working on Abraham's heart since chapter 12 of Genesis. And now we see the Lord turn his attention to Sarah. The Lord 
Almighty wants to get the heart of the husband and the heart of the wife at, on the same level. If Abraham and Sarah's heart can be all in and be faithful to the Lord, then the Lord's going to bless them with this seed, this child. And we see in verse 9, here is the clue that Abraham finally gets that this is the, the theophany of God. That this is a representation of Jesus right here. Why do I say that? Because the Lord speaking uses the covenant name Sarah, not Sarai. Nobody had heard this covenant name and let, only Abraham and the Lord. You would call her now Sarah. And so now I believe the light clicked on. And Abraham knew who he was talking to. Verse 10. We see the promise again shared with Abraham. And there's no reaction here by Abraham. There's no reaction about the truth that is coming. I believe Abraham finally gets it. He doesn't question. He understands. The child is coming. And in verse 12, we see the response from Sarah. So she laughed. An inner smirk. A scoff. Let's be honest. She's blunt in her thoughts. She laughs and thinks that there is no biologically way that this, is, this could happen. And there's no relationally way that this could happen. Why? Well, look at what it says. I have shriveled up and my Lord. Let me, let me just stop you right there. Wives, it's okay to call your husband Lord. It says, after I become shriveled up, my Lord is old. I'm joking. I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. But she says there's no way that this could possibly happen. And so she laughs. Not only within her heart, but in her thoughts. And she laughs in secret, thinking no one could hear her. But in verse 13, we see the omniscient of the Lord here again. Folks, the Lord knows all things. And this, what's going on in this section? Sarah thought that she was in secret and eavesdropping on the Lord. But in reality, here's the twist. The Lord was eavesdropping on Sarah's heart and thoughts. And that, us, that should cause us to pause. And for a moment, we need to have a reality check for ourselves right here. What's in our heart? What blunt thoughts come to our heart and our mind and we don't say them? Well, one can say, well, that, in that context, you're talking about Sarah. But to be honest, God knows everything about Sarah and everything about you and I. So what have you questioned? What have you questioned about God? 
What limits have you put on the unlimited almighty God? What box have you tried to put him in? And you yourself, when have you last laughed and said, ha, that can't really happen? Your faith is exposed when you read the word of God. Sarah's heart is exposed, and for generations after generations, her story will be shared that she laughed at the promise of God, just like Abraham did a while ago. But what about you? What's your thoughts? What's your heart when it comes to the word of God? You can see everything in the world right now. And what comes to your mind and your heart? It's heartbreaking what's going on in this world. It's very sad what's going on in this world. But you know what I know the truth? I have peace because this is not my home. This is not my home. And I'm going to do my very best, and we should do our very best to try to gather everyone that we know and see to come with us and welcome them home into the Father's house. In my Father's house, there are many rooms for sinners for you to come home to, just like me. God put himself on a cross to forgive you and you and me all my past and present and future sins. And that's why I have peace. Because I am not supposed to get rich here on this earth with things. My riches is in glory. Our treasure is in the inheritance of an almighty God. That's why I have peace. That's why I have comfort of what is going on in this world. When it comes to the word of God, will, it, will Christians have faithful obedience to it or will they have faithless dismissal of the word of God? Be reminded that he sees all things. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is a living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of our hearts. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are laid naked and exposed to his eyes of him to whom we give an account for. Hebrews 4.12 to 4.13 talks about how the word of God, the word of God penetrates us. But then it turns in verse 13. It says that to his eyes, we must give an account. It changes from the word of God to the word of God, Jesus. He sees all things. Verse 14 is a rhetorical question. And of course, the answer is no. And I love how the Hebrew word states this phrase. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything too marvelous for the Lord? Is there anything too unusual for the Lord? And this phrase is repeated throughout Scripture. Jeremiah 32 verse 27 says, Look, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? 
And it's also repeated in the announcement when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Luke 1, 36 through 37. And it says, and consider your relative Elizabeth, Mary. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who was called childless. Verse 37 of Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible for God. And do you know this phrase is tied to our salvation? Do you know this phrase is tied to man's salvation? Matthew 19 verse 24 says this. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, verse 25 of Matthew 19, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So here's the takeaway. All things are possible in Yahweh God. And I would like to encourage you to look at your life and look at your salvation that is in him and his faithfulness. It's possible to God because he takes a dead sinner like us and makes us alive in Christ. And each one of us here are saved by a God who does the impossible. He made it possible by going to a cross and, going and raising from the dead, walking out of the empty tomb. Maybe you're here today. And your faith is exposed by saying and uttering these words. God can't save this person, my nephew, my son, my spouse, my friend. Folks, be reminded. Be reminded of Genesis 18, verse 14. Nothing is impossible for God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for the hope that is found in it. Lord, there's nothing too big. And throughout the scriptures, throughout the creation, we have been amazed by your hand. We've been amazed how you continue to seek after sinners. We're amazed that you would take a man like Abraham who had messed up and yet you continue to show the love and grace because of the faithfulness found by you offering the free gift of righteousness. And Lord, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy to be able to serve like you, to serve like Christ. But Father, the word of God reminds us that we're to make a difference. Lord, may we be people who live differently and give people hope when they seem like this world is hopeless. May we get out of our comfort zone, Father to bless, to serve, to help.
And Lord, may fellowship Olathe be encouraged and found in your word alone. There's nothing that we do that is glorious, but you do. You are glorious. And so allow us to be used by you. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus to make an an impression and plant the seeds of the gospel that change lives. We love you. We thank you and praise you. For all things in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.